0: If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at a scripture text in Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, we're going to be in reading at verse three. Oftentimes, when I'm at church and uh, we have the offering taken up, I remember the story that I heard a long time ago about these three little boys who were talking. And as little boys are wont to do, sometimes they begin bragging about their dads. And one little boy said, "You know, my dad is a surgeon." And he goes into surgery for 30 minutes, and they pay him $5,000 to do it. The boy's eyes got real big, and the next little boy looked up. He said, well, that's nothing. My dad's a lawyer. And he goes into courtroom, and he might argue for about an hour and comes out, and he gets $10,000. Next little boy says, well, my dad's a Baptist preacher. And he gets up and preaches on Sunday morning, and it takes six men to bring in the money. So, I appreciate that, men, for taking the offering. Uh, I don't know how they normally look, but they look pretty full to me, so I hope it's it's a good good offering today. I want to talk to you this morning and uh, preach to you about the controversy that sometimes goes on in churches about predestination and free will. Anybody ever heard of that controversy around here? Yeah, it's been around, hasn't it? And as I look on the landscape of Southern Baptist life, I believe this is a controversy that's going to go on for some time because it's very difficult to reconcile these two positions. But I want us to look at it this morning and honestly ask ourselves this question. Do I believe in predestination or do I believe in the free will of man? So let's look at our scripture reading, and we're going to use other verses as well as we go along. Beginning at verse 3, I'll read it out loud and I hope you'll follow with me a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you, Gentiles, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Amen. This is God's Word. Pray with me, if you will, and as I pray out loud, would you pray in your hearts that God would speak to you this morning. Ask God to, to give you the message you need to hear. Oh Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the worship we have already enjoyed, and we trust that you have been blessed, O oh Lord, as we praised your name. And Lord, help us to bow down to you, to be submissive to your will in all things. And Father, whatever you have to say to me today, help me to have ears to hear. Help me to have a willingness to do whatever it is you tell me to do. And help us to be proactive about the kingdom of God, to serve faithfully day by day, your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The argument goes like this. On one hand, there are some who believe that God predestines things to happen And some would even go so far as to say God predestines everything to happen that happens in the world. Everything that happens, God has already planned that to happen or it wouldn't have happened. That's the extreme view of predestination. On the other hand, you have some people to say, no, uh, God doesn't predestine so much as men make their own choice. And they would go so far as to say that nothing really happens in this world, but that somebody has chosen to make that happen. People make choices that are real, honest choices. And so you can readily see how both of those views have some biblical foundation, but they can't possibly both be true at the same time, or can they? And if so, how does that happen? So I hope you'll follow with me this morning in the sermon notes, so they're in the back of your bulletin and there'll be some notes on the screen to fill in the blanks. The question is, do we or do we not have a free will? And does God predetermine anything in our lives? Now, the first thing we need to see in Scripture from the text that I read from in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1 is that we as Baptists do believe in predestination. Let's establish that first, okay? And we see it in chapter 1, verse 4 of Ephesians, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us. Do you know what that means? Right on the face of it, it says, you know, before God created the world, before He made anything that is, He chose you to be saved and to be a part of His eternal family. And it says the same thing again in verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family. And that's one of the picture images that we have in the New Testament about salvation. We become adopted children into God's family. We know we were born with a nature to sin. We know that when we came to that age of making moral choices, we all chose to sin. And so we're unfit to be in God's family because of our sin. And so He adopts us in. He makes us His child. And then again, we see it in verse 11 in our text. It says, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance. That's really pretty clear. And so some people who believe so strongly in predestination go so far as to say, There's no reason for you to get upset about being saved or lost because God's already chosen who's going to be saved, and if you're one of those saved, you're going to go to heaven regardless. And if you're not one of the chosen, well, that's too bad. And that's the hyper-Calvinism that sometimes we hear about. In fact, my grandfather was a member of a church. It was called the Primitive Baptist Church. We used to call them the Hardshell Baptist Church. And they were hyper Calvinist. They didn't believe in having Sunday school. They didn't have any Sunday school. They didn't believe in missions. They didn't send anybody overseas to win the lost in different places of the world. They believed so strongly in predestination, they believed that God would save the lost regardless of our efforts. There was nothing we could do about it, so why would we want to try to interfere with God's plan? Now remember, that's the hyper-Calvinism. That's not the biblical Calvinism that sometimes we see in different churches around the way. And so from the Bible standpoint, we have to believe, and this is not the only text. There are many other places in Scripture where Calvinism, or predestination, I should say, is mentioned. And so let's look at the other side of that for just a minute. Though we believe in predestination, we also believe in free will. It is a clear biblical teaching. Number one, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... Let's read it together, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see that big word there, whosoever? It doesn't say whosoever has been predetermined, does it? It doesn't say whoever's been chosen before the foundation of the world. It says whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the Bible goes on in many other places to declare that same truth. For instance, in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with God, uh, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart you believe unto righteousness. And so many times I've used those two verses to help people understand salvation and actually to receive Christ. Maybe some of you have used this same verse, this same scripture. You share the gospel with a person, how that we are all sinners, and Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. He was the only sinless one. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you are willing to confess that Jesus is the Lord... You're going to be saved. And I'd say, now, would you like to pray a prayer and and just ask Jesus to save you? And that's, that's how some people have come to know Christ. And so we also see in Romans 10, 13, that glorious verse that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, everyone. You may substitute the word anyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we have what seems to be two opposing views of what it means to be saved, one that you're predetermined to salvation, one that you must choose to be saved. So how do we deal with this basic conflict in doctrine? we look at the next section in your notes, if you will. The Bible teaches, number one, that God is sovereign. The Bible teaches the divine sovereignty of God. I don't know any serious Christian who doubts this truth. That God is God, He can do whatever He chooses to do, He is really in charge of the universe, He created the universe, He keeps the seasons going year in and year out, He keeps the moon in its orbit, He keeps the earth in its orbit around the sun, He makes sure that everything runs just like He created it to run. That nothing can happen without His consent. In fact, Jesus said the very hairs of our head are numbered. Now, that's not a hard job for some of, some of us. You know, it doesn't tax God's strength to do that for some of us. Uh, I believe that men who have hair are at a, quite a disadvantage, you know, because uh, uh, people without much hair on the top of their head, that's a sign of a busy mind. That's what that is. And so here we find God, if he is sovereign, can he do whatever he chooses to do? And the answer, of course, is yes. So if he chooses to save people before the foundations of the world, isn't that possible? Do like this. Yes, God is God. But on the other hand, if God determines that the way to enter into that salvation is through by believing, by trusting, by taking a step of faith, isn't that also possible? Do like this. Yeah, yes, it is. And so how do we reconcile the two things that seem different? The Bible also teaches that every human being has responsibility. Look at it this way. In Genesis chapter one, God created the world and He created man. In Genesis chapter two, verse 17, you might want to mark this verse down. It's a very important verse. In Genesis 2:17, God said to Adam. There is all kinds of food in the garden, and you can eat from any tree in the garden you want to eat from, but there's one tree in the middle of the garden. The day you eat from that tree, you will die. You remember that? Genesis 2.17. And so they lived happily, as far as we know, in the garden for quite some time. Did you ever consider that Adam and Eve may have lived in the garden for several years or decades even before they ate the forbidden fruit? I'd like to think they did. You know, the way the Bible tells it, it just happened the very next day. But it could have been, many years between those chapters. But what we do know is that in chapter 3, the Bible records the fall of man. And Adam and Eve both, standing before this tree, encountered this serpent who spoke. And they entered into dialogue, and the serpent said, You know, that tree has the most delicious fruit of anything in the garden. Good to the taste. And it's the most beautiful fruit as well, good to the eyes. And by the way, if you eat from that tree, you will be wise like God. In other words, you will not even need God anymore. You will be just like Him. And so they gave in, and they ate the forbidden fruit, and instantly their eyes were open. and the first fruit of their sin was a guilty conscience. And the first fruit of a guilty conscience is to try to hide your sin from God. And so not only did they try to hide from God, they also try to cover themselves because for the first time they had guilt over their own human body. Now the question comes sometimes from people who think about this, and it is, why did God make man with that choice? Wouldn't you sometimes like to think about Adam and Eve being in the garden without the knowledge of good and evil, that tree in the middle of the garden? I believe if Adam and Eve had not sinned by taking the fruit from that tree, they'd still be with us to this day. They didn't die physically when they ate the fruit, did they? They died spiritually. They were void of the presence of God. Their fellowship with God was broken. And from that time onward, God had put a curse on both of them. But consider for just a minute what would have been like if Adam and Eve did not have that one tree in the garden and, and that was no longer a test or a temptation for them, what would it be like? I'd suggest to you that without the sovereignty of God, man would be nothing more than a robot, nothing more than an animal programmed to do certain things in certain ways without any moral issue. But God instead chose to give to man and woman a moral option, which isn't true in the animal kingdom. Did you know that your dog does not make any moral choices between right and wrong? We had a dog, and we lived in Hanahan named Boo. Wonderful little dog. And my wife taught Boo to use the bathroom outside. And uh, Boo would go to the bell, to the door and ring a bell, and that was a sign she needs to go out. And so that worked really well. But, you know, sometimes Boo being a dog made a little mistake. And so you had to scold her, maybe have a little newspaper around, I must confess, one day I punted her out the door. I shouldn't have done that. But uh, so now the question becomes did our dog have a moral option about where she used the bathroom? Not really. It was either smack wrong or candy right. That's how dogs operate, that's called instinct. You treat them in such a way that there is consequence of pain if they do something you don't want them to do, and there's a reward of delight if they do something you want them to do. Is that so with people? It might be with babies. Well, I wouldn't suggest you punt them out the door, though. That would not be appropriate behavior. But the point is, a man has the ability to choose right from wrong. Animals don't have that. So what is God doing? God gave us responsibility, and every person stands responsible to God. He is sovereign, but we're responsible for every word we speak. We're responsible for everything we do. We're responsible for those things we should do that we don't do. We're responsible for how we spend our money how we spend our time, how we spend our influence. And so God is sovereign, but at the same time, God has given us responsibility that at the end of the time period that we have in this world, we will be responsible to Him in the day of judgment. Even Christians will face the judgment seat of Christ, not for whether we get to heaven or hell, but for the rewards that we have earned for the things we have done as Christians for His glory. If you don't believe that, read the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it describes something about the test that all Christians will have to go through at the end of time. Now, so what do we have if God is sovereign alone? Makes man a robot. But human responsibility alone, if we are free to choose everything and God has nothing to do with it, what does that mean? That means that God becomes dependent on man. And so we can't have it both ways, can we? We can't say truly predestination is the only thing we need to see because that makes humans just robots without any responsibility. But if we say divine uh, giving of responsibility means the man's choice is everything, then God depends on us. Can you imagine the Lord himself in a worship service where there are a lot of lost people and the pastor preaches a gospel sermon and he gives an invitation for people to come to Christ and God up in heaven's biting his fingernails waiting to see who's going to come. Can you imagine God doing that? I can't. And so somehow we have to bring these two things together. Now I want to give you a word that you probably don't know. I didn't know this word for a long time. They don't teach this at seminary, I guarantee you that. And the word is antimony. It's on the screen for you. There is a divine antinomy. And you probably won't be able to find this in your dictionary unless you have a really good dictionary. Because it's not a word that's used very often. It's almost always used in the realm of theology. And it's basically a compound word of two Greek words, anti and noma, against the law. And what it means is there are two things that exist together, side by side, that are mutually exclusive. A synonym for antinomy may be paradox. Though paradox isn't really quite strong enough. And so what happens is God is sovereign, man is responsible, God does predestine, but man has to make a choice. And these two things coexist because they're of God. I first read this word antinomy in a book by J. I. Packer some years ago called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Some of you know who J. I. Packer is. He's a theologian. He's an Anglican. He teaches at a seminary. He's written many good books. I heard him speak one time downtown Charleston. He was here for something, and I went to hear him speak, and I tell you, it was a dull sermon. But when I read his books, I get get on fire because he has some really bright ways of explaining God and showing us who God is, and he used that word antinomy, and I thought, man, that's, I didn't know that word, so I started looking it up, and then not long ago, I was preparing for a sermon, and I was using a commentary about John MacArthur, anybody hear of John MacArthur? Yeah, a great pastor out in California, and he writes a lot of books, and does wonderful great things, and John MacArthur also used this word antinomy. And so, this word helps us to see that there are probably many dimensions of God's knowledge that we don't have. Is that possible? Do you believe God can really understand what's going on in your mind and knows your motives and the secret thoughts of our hearts? I do. I believe that. How can He do that? He's God. And so the Bible teaches us that there are both signs on this door of salvation. Number two in your notes, if you're looking at the screen, can you imagine, let's just say this door over here that goes down into the education building, let's just say that was called the door of salvation. Can you do that? Just imagine it for a minute. And everybody who goes through that door gets saved. And on the outside of that door, as we're looking at it right now, it says, whosoever will may come. Anybody that wants to can go through that door and be saved. You understand that? And that's what we teach our children in Bible school, isn't it? That's what we teach our children in Sunday school. We teach them John 3.16, because whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. And so we go through this door, and now we're saved because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. But once you get on the other side of that door, you notice there's something written on the other side. And on the other side it says, God's elect, God's chosen, God's predestined. Can you see it that way? You see, we can only see one side of the door. And we're only responsible for our particular response to God's invitation. Not for everybody else's, not for the lost around the world, but just for us and what we do and what we say. I've heard a lot of criticism about some people I know who are pastors in churches that lean toward the Calvinistic view of things. And those that I personally know who are truly Calvinistic in their leaning that is they lean more heavily toward the predestination side are some of the biggest missions churches that I know they give to missions they sponsor missionaries they take mission trips Uh, one pastor I know goes on the mission field two or three times a year to visit with missionaries and try to encourage our missionaries you say well how can that be well they have a biblical approach don't they even though they believe in predestination, they also believe that God commanded us through Matthew 28, 19, and 20 that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And they want to be obedient to the divine commandment and do what God said. And so here we have these two things, and God's elect are those who receive and who go through the door of salvation. But look at this. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-five it says, "...the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans." And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Even though the Bible teaches that God has foreknowledge and God has predestination, every person is going to have to stand before the Lord and be held responsible for the opportunities they've had. Now, some of you have probably been in this discussion in your Sunday school class or maybe you've been in discussion with someone at work or someone in the neighborhood about predestination and free will. And here's a question that often comes up in that discussion. What about that jungle guy out in Borneo? That man who doesn't wear any clothes, he never learned to read, there's nothing to read if he learned to read. He's just out there in the jungle and he's lost as a goose. What's God going to do with him? He never went to a church, he never has seen a Bible, he's never heard a gospel message, he's never found any missionary, Uh, just doesn't know anything about God, or you'd think so. How can God cast him into hell if he never had the opportunity? Well, here's the answer to that. Every person, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, has instinctively the knowledge of God. God put it within every human being to notice, through nature at least, that there is a deity, there is a God that exists. And so every person will be held accountable to the knowledge they've had and how they've responded to that knowledge. You take a person who's raised in the Charleston, South Carolina area where there are churches all over the place. And where there are several Christian radio stations that you can pick up, regardless of what band you have, AM, FM, Sirius, XM, whatever it is, you can get religious Christian radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And from time to time, we have special occasions, special revivals or evangelistic services. We had Franklin Graham here several years ago, and Billy Graham way back when was up in Columbia. So a person's raised in this environment and gets invited to church often, And they decide church is not for them. They don't want to be a part of the church. It's just full of hypocrites. They just want your money. Do you think God's judgment on that person is going to be any different from the infidel in Borneo? I think so. We've had opportunities that he didn't have. We've had opportunities that he couldn't even dream of. The point is, every person will be held responsible for their opportunities for what they knew, what they could have done and maybe didn't do. God will hold us all accountable the same. Now, I want to bring this message to a conclusion. You know, it's one thing to fly this airplane in the air. It's another thing to land it safely. So let's see if we can land this thing on the ground here, okay? Let me give you three conclusions. Number one, we all agree that our salvation started with God. Would you agree with that? Yeah. God did it. How did he do it? Well, he loved us. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He loved us. He wanted us to be a part of his eternal family. He wanted us to come to him and receive grace and receive salvation. He loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life so that he might die as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then God raised him from the dead three days later. And he reigns on high today at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us who believe. God started it. You didn't have to dream it up. You don't have to provide your own way of grace. And number two, we all agree that God is the one who saves us and who keeps us. In verse 14 of our scripture passage in Ephesians 1, it says, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised. When you become a Christian, when you believe in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's called regeneration, it's called the new birth because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within your human spirit and that's the evidence that you're the child of God and it's the Spirit of God dwelling within us that is our guarantee that we're going to receive the full thing when we go on to heaven to be with Him. But here's the last thing, each of us must receive and believe the gospel. You are responsible for what you do with it. I'm not responsible. I can deliver the message and I I think I've done that this morning. And now what are you gonna do with it? Somebody says, well, I joined the church when I was six. Wonderful. You know there won't be any Baptists in heaven, don't you? Did y'all know that? Not be one Baptist in heaven, only Christians won't be any Methodists in heaven, won't be any Presbyterians in heaven, just Christians. And so it's not because you're a Baptist or a church member that you're gonna get to heaven. In fact, there'll probably be enough Baptists in hell to start a Bible conference. One of them be trying to raise money to air condition the place, you can bet on that. And somebody says, well, I got baptized. That's not bad, I mean, I believe in baptism. Uh, you know, at, over at First Baptist, we baptize them till they're satisfied. We just hold them under until they bubble, and <laughs> they bubble, we let them up. But you see, it's not being a member of the church, it's not being baptized, it's being born again. That's the, that's the key. Now, I, I believe in being Baptist. In fact, you know what I'd be if I wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed. That's what I'd be. If I wasn't a Baptist, that's what I would be. So ask yourself the question today, are you truly born again. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and saved? Now, did you join the church? I don't know how many people I've asked this question to in, in different places where I've served. Uh, tell me about your experience when you came to know Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, I got baptized when I was about 12. Well, when did you get saved? Well, I joined the church. Well, when did you get saved? Now, try to point it down to a place. Was there a place? Was there a time? when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Really. And I find there are a lot of people in the churches who aren't sure. Who really aren't sure. When I was pastor here some years ago, a young man came to my office one day and we chatted for a minute. He says, the reason I wanted to come to see you, Ron, is because uh, I'm not really sure that I've I've really been baptized correctly. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I was a boy, I went to summer camp with some of my friends at church camp. And one night when they had the service, I went forward with my friends because they were going forward and everybody prayed the prayer and I prayed it. And then we got back home and everybody got baptized and I got baptized. And he said, I don't really think I got saved. And that baptism really wasn't anything but getting wet. And he said, but now I know that I've received Jesus. I know for a fact that Christ has come into my heart and changed me. And so I need to get baptized and I said that's right you need to get baptized. Not because baptism makes you saved but baptism comes after salvation as a testimony of your salvation. You may have gotten baptized without getting saved. You may have joined the church. I wonder how many members you have here at Highland Park. I know over in Mount Pleasant we have about 1,200 members. There's probably 400 of them we can't find and there's probably another 200 that never show up for anything. Membership in a church is not really the good account of who is genuinely saved. So this morning, it's your responsibility to receive the good news and to act on it. What does God want to do in your heart today? What does God want to do in your life today? It may be to give you the assurance that, yes, you have received Christ. Or, or no, you haven't, but today you can Just bow with me for a minute, if you will. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. In just a minute, we're going to sing a a song of invitation, a song of inviting you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. If you've never received Christ, or maybe you're one of those who said, you know, I did pray a prayer one time. I I went forward in the church. I got baptized. I'm just not real sure. I'm I'm confused. Sometimes that happens. Maybe you get away from fellowship with God you spend more time with your friends than you do in prayer and in the Word of God, you you don't really enjoy going to church much but you're here today for some reason but you're really not sure why don't you settle it today by going directly to God in prayer and praying something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I really want to know that I'm saved, that I'm a Christian and right now I'm not sure dear Lord. I believe Jesus died for my sins And I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done a lot of things that I shouldn't have done, and I regret it. I feel bad because of my sins. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. And so I ask you to please forgive my sins and come into my life and save me. That's all it takes. You don't have to say those very words, but you have to come to Christ on your own. You can't trust your father or your mother For their salvation because you have to stand on your own before god you don't inherit salvation you receive it so will you receive christ today just simply open your heart invite him to come in and take charge and some of you who are christians and know you're saved and you have confidence that if you died today you'd be in the arms of jesus would you just whisper a prayer of thanksgiving to god And ask yourself this question, have you been sharing that truth with other people? Have you told anyone lately that Christ is your Lord and Savior and you could help them to know him as their Lord and Savior too? Just put yourself out there. I know you're opening yourself for criticism. You're opening yourself for being called a hypocrite because you're not perfect yet. Maybe you need to repent because you've never shared your faith with anyone at all. Our Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us today and show us what you're saying to us and bring us that conviction that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.